Hey, hey, what's up, guys? Chat, chat. YOLO, yo. hello. Yo, yo, it's been a while. How are you guys doing? Welcome back, Chad. Yeah, doing well, doing well. Yeah, it's good to be back. I was listening to one of the recordings of you guys just like the other day, but I haven't uh, had the pleasure to join you in a bit. <laughs> having you on man oh by the way i'm just so everyone knows i'm i'm working on get every, getting everything uploaded to like an rss feed so that way uh hopefully these episodes should start going up on spotify and like apple podcasts and stuff i gotta figure all this stuff out i've never done this before so uh figuring all this stuff out but i should have an archive i, I mean i do have an archive of every single episode that's that's ever been recorded so we'll have everything up uh on on something so working on that uh, as we speak so then people who don't just have to listen to this either on uh x or youtube which you know kind of sucks for some people if, like if you look if you listen while you drive or something yeah check out um a transistor.fm i think it is or tr- transmitter or transistor i can't remember what it's called uh for podcast like hosting and stuff like that makes it deal easy all right, cool. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll check something like that. I, I did upload everything to a website. And now I just got to figure out how to start publishing and then uh, get it approved on like Apple and that kind of stuff. But shouldn't be too crazy. And then people can can listen more conveniently, not have to deal with the all these stupid apps. Nice. Yeah, that'll be cool. Can just do like two x speed on Spotify or something. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly because I'm, I'm sure like that's, that's probably the ideal way to listen to this podcast honestly so. <laughs> just like furiously skipping the beginning <laughs> <laughs> just kidding 
So what's on the agenda? What's new? Well, we uh, pinned a tweet up on top here, uh, CoinGecko. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure anyone that's been paying attention has noticed that DoorChain's been pretty consistently top five DEXs in the past, like, couple of weeks, probably about the past month or so. And, yeah, I mean, it's great to see things trending, like, up and to the right in, in that direction, because that's really the, uh, the one of the most important metrics that we got is just comparing ourselves against other decentralized exchanges. And, uh, hey, volume's been pretty great for the past, like, month at least and uh, consistently climbing up there. Uh, so, like, the CoinGecko tweet pointed out that we uh, were top five in, in trading volume. I don't know what over, over what time period that is. I guess January to September 2023. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we still got a ways to go to flip Uniswap over that time period, but uh, we're, we're on track. That's awesome, yeah. And it's great just to see these bigger press sources, like, having Thorchain on the radar because I, I know there are probably times where like the volume should have made a top list and like it wasn't even on the radar. So I feel like Thorchain is firmly in the zeitgeist now, which is that alone is pretty cool. Yeah. Part of why I think that's so tough is because all the analytics sites, they're all just Ethereum sites, you know, and like, obviously, cause that, cause obviously that's also where 90, five percent of activity was um you know obviously like it's kind of it's been proliferating out more and more uh but like everything is just built to just like look at an ETH contract say like oh this is how much ETH is going in and out and we can exactly figure out how much volume is going on in this exchange by looking at this contract but it's like you know everything Thorchain is like a completely new paradigm and stuff like that so um yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting because even to look at all this stuff, you have to go on like doorchain.net or like doorcharts or something uh, uh, like that. Although you, like CoinGecko does look at our API and things, but, um, you know, you can't see all the stats like as cleanly or as easily because uh, you, you need kind of like custom tooling built out. And I think part of it is um, from a, from the growth of the last like quarter is from just like the active swapper count has been like consistently growing fairly consistently for a good while now. And I think that's just, we're getting a lot more volume in part just because we want a lot more people are actually using the protocol. Yeah. I mean, I have to assume like streaming swaps is the big lever that took it to the next level. In addition to that. Yeah. Streaming swaps and trust wallet for sure. I think streaming swaps help help with the diversity a little bit. Cause I've been seeing a lot more like bigger swaps coming through like Shapeshift and Asgard X. Cause like in the past you'd see them pretty much only come out of uh, ThorSwap. And now we're kind of seeing them come out of a lot of different exchanges. I've seen some big ones come out of Rango and, and DeFi spot as well. And obviously the user count is just crazy with, with trust wallet. And that's been like vertical up and to the right pretty much all year. And they just added streaming swaps, right? Or only on Android, I think, so far. Is that right? Yeah, right. Right now, it's just on Android. Uh, their approval process for iOS just takes forever. But so Android gets all like the latest and greatest. But all the but there's actually more swap activity that comes out of uh, iOS. So uh, yeah, it's not it's not live on iOS yet, but that will come eventually. And uh, they they also added the Nine Realms transaction tracker to Android. So uh, 
if if you do make a swap there, you're not just like left in the dark. And they just because they what they used to do is just give you like a block stream link, which tells you absolutely nothing. It just tells you, yeah, you sent the Bitcoin, and you're like, all right, well, what what happened to it? Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's been a little while. So uh, now they should have a link to the Nine Realms transaction tracker, so they can so like users can at least know, uh, you know, what's going on with their swap, like what's the estimated time to receive it, and uh, you know, all that good stuff. So updates coming on that side. Just, Chad, just got rugged. Lost Chad. Yeah, but um, yeah, but anyway, things are like really good with Trust Wallet. Like, it, it seems like every single month it's just more and more users using it, and it, it also seems like it's something that they're really um, like advertising as a like a, a it's a it's a core feature of the wallet at this point to to do swaps and and things like that. And obviously, we're one of the major providers for that. So, I mean, you could just think about like. How many users that Trust Wallet has? That is like a fraction of all of the other wallets that are out there that like have the potential to add Thorchain cross-chain swaps. So it's like you look at thousands and thousands of unique users a month doing, you know, uh, millions per per month in volume. You multiply that over just a couple wallets or even, you know, bigger wallets than, uh, than Trust Wallet. And, you know, things start to get pretty nutty pretty quick when you think about like the potential volumes there and obviously these are like fair market volumes too so that's that's why it's like ever since we got the trust wallet integration in the first place it's been pretty hard to be uh like pessimistic on on where things are going because the dominoes start to tip and then other protocols uh, or other wallets and dexes see you know the other big guys integrating and then it just becomes that much more inevitable so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thinking about this whole thing. It's just like, this is, Trust Wallet is just one Trust Wallet. We have the potential for like, you know, uh, like dozens of, tr- of Trust Wallets. Yeah, and then the growth of those too. Like you said, like these are bear market. Well, maybe not the last week, but in general, it's been bear market volumes. Um, so like, you know, just it, it's cool to imagine where Trust will be, where all the other Trusts will be. And it's also funny just like how, they can really use the same marketing angles that like Thorshay and ThorSwap everyone puts out there. It's like like everything about these crazy execution prices on on streaming swaps. That's a huge that's a huge message coming from a platform like Trust that has what tens of millions of users, whatever it is, to be able to put out a message like that. Like, hey, you can get better price execution on any size swap, 100 Bitcoin, whatever you want, like on from your own self custody wallet, like in your pocket not through a centralized exchange, like that message being propagated by all these different platforms is, is, is huge. And, and I think what's really going to speak to a lot of people is once trust uh, flips fees on uh, eventually, uh, that's going to start showing really the earning power of Thorchain. And like, you're not going to be able to ignore those numbers when they come out. Uh, just, just ran some numbers here, like a little earlier today. If they, if they collected 70 basis points per swap, over the past month, so October 1st to November 1st, uh, they would have earned 550K over that one month period. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you can just think about like that's that's very material revenue going in for like a wallet like that. And you, you can't really ignore that kind of revenue. At, at what percent fee was that? 70 basis okay. points. Yeah, that's so you, you yeah. can change the numbers as, as you will. You bring it down to, to 30 and it's like, you know, 
250k or or, or something like yeah. that 200k i mean yeah that calculation that's like six million a year in profit for them not bad yeah just just raw profit there's no expenses that go into powering a, a door chain swap from their end yeah that's amazing so it's like, I mean, other wallets are going to start seeing, like, wow, like these guys are collecting an insane amount of revenue from using Thorchain, and like that—that's that just going to continue on, like the, the snowball, like uh, avalanche down the hill type thing. In my opinion, and even Thorswap powering like a lot of a lot of revenue, like you know, Thorswap is like. You know, I would say like by no means like a household name in, in any anywhere besides like the Thorchain space. Although obviously it's like quickly growing to that that level, but I think the Thorswap you know t- takes very material revenue off of all the especially all the big swaps that they do. Yeah, I think he, I think it was you, Cow, brought up a point on maybe the last time you guys did this that I wasn't here, like about Uniswap now charging a platform fee and that like that making the calculation of doing even ERC-20 swaps on, say, Uniswap versus ThorSwap, like, makes that more competitive. So even that's pretty interesting to potentially, you know, just to think, like, how, how much more volume ThorSwap and other other DEXs like that could could gain uh, when volumes really are going crazy. Long way to go, for sure. So what's next on the docket? Let me check the docket. Whip out the clipboard, the docket. <laughs> Let's see what we got here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you said there, there's $3 billion in trade volume in October? Yeah, it's like three over $3 billion, uh, and it's like I think our largest month uh, ever. And, and, and some of that's from, from like, you know, nefarious actors out there, and, and a lot of it's not. And I think just because logic of streaming swaps, we were talking about earlier, all these things, but like the fact that it's getting this much adoption in a bear market is pretty crazy. Like it, just, it must be even more insane once we actually get to the bull. Yeah, hopefully just a uh, an inkling of what's to come. I guess further than that, uh, I think this happened after the last space that we did. Um, Streaming swaps and streaming savers are live. So those are like both accessible by anybody right now. Although um, I I think they're still waiting to update that, but uh, you can take it out on Lens. It's live in the protocol and streaming savers obviously live. And I mean, I've seen some massive, massive deposits on... uh, savers since that's been going live especially like usdt i've seen some bitcoin cash whales coming out of who knows where depositing into savers (laughs) (laughs) the bitcoin cash whales come out of their hole there is there's one (laughs) some bitcoin cash that hasn't moved in seven years (laughs) that's crazy there's never anything to do with it until now so (laughs) they they showed up those features are basically just like they're just unleashed at this point. Like now, it's just there's there's no cap to them in some sense, right? In terms of like like liquidity coming in to, to use them. Totally. How big were some of those deposits you were looking at? Yeah, I saw. 
I, I think the biggest one was 500k in USDT. Um, I, there, there was a couple really big USDT ones. I saw some big AVAX USDC swap uh, or Sabres ads, and I, I like. I mean, that that's been a really productive pool for a while because it's it's pretty shallow comparatively. Like it's only. Uh, I mean, at the most, like a couple million, at, like at the very, at the very most in in depth, but it still gets a lot of trade volume, so it generates a lot of fees. So people have been pretty much filling up that ball. I think it's uh, it, it's at the well. We we'll get let's get into this in a little bit. It's like pretty much like rubbing up against the cap slash pol stuff. But um, that Bitcoin cash deposit was I think like three hundred fifty k or something like that. Um, Nice. See, I haven't, I haven't, we haven't seen, I haven't seen any massive, massive Bitcoin ads. But I mean, the yield also isn't like, uh, you know, crazy, crazy in in Bitcoin as it is for like a lot of the other pools. So yeah, you might be able to see why that would be the case. I've seen a couple, you know, mid, I mean, mid sized ones, and basically, I haven't seen any fifty Bitcoin deposits yet. So I'm not like jumping out of my chair yet. So, well, but I'm sure we'll see it one day. It is interesting to see like how uh, just in the last like couple of days. We go from having like 168 million in liquidity to like 180, 190, just in a matter of a few days, and that's like we're we're, we're our TVL is just, has been climbing pretty steadily for the last like two weeks. And like, I mean, how much does some of that come from Rune's price? And but like, I think TCB had like a really epic thread claiming that it was pretty much all like just intrinsic flywheel stuff kind of like driving driving everything recently, which was pretty cool to see. Like savers piling in, regular LPs piling in, all that. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a, a part of it. So as Rune's price is performing well, and, and I think like Rune until a few hours ago was like the highest performing uh, asset in the last week. And so as Rune's price performs well and uh, it just pulls more liquidity and more Bitcoin, more Bitcoin cash, you know, everything. And so when we actually go crazy in the bull market and Rune's doing a lot better than it is now, hopefully, um, then we, the, the depth of these pools will get really deep, like really, really, really deep. And it'd be awesome because then the, the streaming swaps would be even more efficient, which is fantastic. Yeah, so kind of related to what you're saying is uh, POL being added for uh, all the other L1 pools and also stable coins. So that, that was something that just happened uh, yesterday or the, or the day before, I believe. And so that, that basically just greatly increases the amount that can be added into the vaults because POL will scale the, the dual-sided liquidity to make it so more uh, L1 liquidity can be added. So... I've been I've been seeing POL been adding into the AVAX USDC and also the ETH USDT pools, and that's just going to keep uh, basically if there's any like rune price decline, uh, POL will just keep adding and essentially just um, just adding more liquidity into those pools. Uh, also, with the, the the rune price increasing against Bitcoin, it's been withdrawing from the Bitcoin pools. So we're we're kind of at the point where uh, it's like a pretty interesting like equilibrium happening right now where it's simultaneously withdrawing from the Bitcoin pool. So it's uh, basically selling Bitcoin to buy Rune and then it's using that Rune to deposit into the uh, two of the stable coin pools as P- 
the the price is decreasing against USD. So POL working as intended, and I think there's like about two million deployed right now with a maximum of of five million that can be deployed, and I think there's authorization to go up to ten million rune deployed for for POL. So uh, you know, a, a bunch more rune can still be dumped into the pools to uh, essentially just back the the savers and keep the pools uh, pretty full of rune. Increasing liquidity even further. Yeah, love it. I love to get the pools deeper and deeper and deeper. The deeper they are, the more efficient the tradings are. Right? Even even if you um, even if you uh, do a streaming swap and there's no arbs on the other side, it still gives you a better price. Right? So it's just like the deeper these pools can get, the more TBL there is. The more TBL is, there's more liquidity, more liquidity, more trading. It's just all how it all works. We love a good flyer. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything more interesting about POL, um, except that it's on and, and working as intended. And it's pretty slow uh, at this time right now. Like, I, I think since, like, 7.30 last night, like, in the, basically in the, in the last, like, 24 hours, uh, it's probably only deposited maybe 15,000 rune a total because um, it, it's filling up pretty shallow pools, like... Um, if us sorry avax usdc so yeah it's 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 less than twelve thousand rune uh deposited total so it's just a little bit in usdt and a little bit in avax pool so yeah there we go and basically that means it, it basically just creates room for savers to continue to deposit and but also as the uh utilization there gets higher the yield goes down so it'll be kind of like a self-balancing uh Thing, where if the if the pools are just always completely full, then those savers aren't getting any yield, and probably some of them will, will uh, withdraw. So, just kind of the dynamics of uh, synth utilization and uh, savers yields. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Oleg posted a couple questions in the chat, which I guess we can answer. You want to read those and give your uh, give your answer, Chad. Also, we can let a Sharky Lightfoot into the uh, onto the stage. I mean, we can invite Oleg onto the stage, and he can answer. He can answer his questions. So that could be a little bit easier. True. Yeah. And it'll be easier for the listeners. Yeah. Invite him up. All right, inviting him up. Uh, also, letting Sharky Lightfoot up here, if they have a question about something. What's up, Sharky? To start. Hey, Jen, everyone. Yo, Oleg. What's up, man? Um, not much. Uh, so I just asked a couple questions. Um, some of them have already been answered. Let's start with the first one. So now that we have streaming swaps making any trade very low slippage with very little liquidity, any incentives in attracting other ERC-20 pools? So you know how Thor swap, um, we have a pool on SushiSwap, and then SushiSwap is kind of courting us to migrate to Sushi V3, and then there are other actors that want us to move our liquidity to their uh, ecosystem. The goal is attracting TVL. Um, so I know that before the kind of general idea was let's keep the pool space for L1, 
at once, I mean, um, to make sure to get the lowest slippage. But now that we have streaming swaps, does that change the strategy and maybe attracting specific projects or trying to get new ERC-20 pools uh, might be good for the protocol? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's been a general tone for a while of the idea of just like uh, leaning away from ERC-20s and uh, like other other tokens and just doing gas assets and stable coins. Um, but then we started doing this whole like streaming swap thing and, and that kind of raised the question of like, well, you know, are we going to see decent volume on these things now that we have streaming swaps? I think there's still a need more time to kind of evaluate that. But in the end, we only have so much cap space, uh, so much security. And if we spread it out too much and have a bunch of just really like shallow pools um, that are just collectively take up a lot of the space in the security of the network, then it may not make sense to have them. So I, I think there's like some intention to increase the number of like rune required to be in the pool. Like I think right now it's like 10,000, can't have anything less than 10,000 K. Uh, then it becomes like a standby pool. Uh, we still want to like increase that to like a hundred K, something something more substantial, just to ensure that the pools we do have are, you know, of, of subsequent size to to be make it worth worth the while. And then there's another kind of idea that was floated at one point, and we haven't really been talking about it lately. But this the general idea of like tracking the amount of trade volume in a pool relative to its depth, like how much is it collecting in fees versus the the depth of the, the pool. And if it's like under a certain, you know, margin, a certain a line, then it would get like kicked out, right? Because it's not really generating enough swaps for it to, to be warranted to take up that much space, you know, in terms of security. That may happen at another time to, into the future, probably not anytime soon. But it's just like part of the evaluation of like, where do you want to utilize the security of the network? Where does it make the most sense to make it? Is it better to kick those out and get like a deeper Bitcoin pool or is it better to have more assets or, or not? And I think it's a very debatable uh, topic. Yeah, but in a world where Torchain now executes swaps cheaper than Uniswap and is very competitive even with the changes to the network outline fee, and I don't see like people waiting for cap space on the Bitcoin pool. So does that make it a, like a desirable strategy for Torchain or Nine Realms or the ecosystem to adopt and try and get new, very deep and active uh, pools. Like if, if we think of say the Aave token, there's already a pool there. Um, should we try and get that going? So it's deeper and it has actually more volume just because it's more competitive than Uniswap. So why not try to get the, that liquidity locked into the protocol and add some value to Rune as well? Yeah, you could do that, and it's, it's not a bad idea or anything like this. Um, you have to consider also some things about, like, you know, do we want the POL to be part of those types of ERC-20 assets or not, right? Or do we want to keep it focused on, um, you know, like the, the gas assets and the, and the stables and that kind of stuff? And that's another debate we can have, like, within the community. Because um, if you don't, then, you're, then, then you, won't, you don't have savers and you don't have the POL uh, in, like, you know, the Aave pool, for example. And then, then you're reliant on the the, the kind of uh, dual LPs to provide the liquidity, and then the question becomes like, well, how much how much demand is there for that? And you're right, you can do streaming swap with with that, and an arbitrage bot will probably be slower to arbitrage low smaller smaller pools most likely. But I, it, it's it's a it's a good topic, and I I feel very mixed about it personally.
Well, just thinking about it realistically a bit, like let, let's say you have a pretty, uh, let's say you have a low liquidity ERC-20 pool. Every So every, every single time that there's a swap out of there, if you're expecting an ARB to come in, um, you know, ETH L1 fees are, are pretty expensive. So unless there's an active, you need to have a pretty active ARB on those pools to even uh, get better liquidity. And if you're relying on more L1s to be deposited, then uh, it's going to take a lot of L1 gas fees to even, to even do that. So like if, um, if, if the, the, the pool is so small that you're going to need a lot of ARB in order to, you know, maintain the price, then like would the price even maintain, even, even with streaming swaps, would it even maintain the price because it would cost, you know, a, a couple dollars to, to just ARB more of the asset into the pools every single time to fill liquidity needs. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I think there are a few use cases. Like, I wouldn't just call all the RC20s to look at Torchain, but I, I think there is um, a couple of strategies that could be pursued by the ecosystem. So maybe liquid state derivative, derivatives such as uh, wrap state ETH and um, like bigger tokens such as well Uni maybe not uh, because they have their own decks, but stuff like Maker and uh, Aave maybe it could make sense to see if there's interest on, on their end. Um, we do have Aave. Yes, yes, but it's very shallow. But And I don't know how many people in the Aave community know about the Torchain pool. But yeah, that's my quick take on it. And then the second question, um, I'd be curious also to see uh, everyone's take on that. But uh, basically, I suggested a while back, and I'm not the only one, a couple of people uh, suggested that, that we uh, consider or explore if it would be possible to stake a very small portion of the pools for the POS uh, assets, such as Ethereum, uh, AVAX, and Atom, um, into their native protocol staking. Um, so Lina at the time, I remember saying something along the lines of, we the protocol should keep... Um, as possible, uh, as much as possible, chain agnostic features. So those are not chain agnostic, so should not be considered. And also that the liquidity should always be accessible. Um, I understand those points. Just curious if there are any other takes on that suggestion. This is like the idea of having like, like staked ETH as an asset on the network. No, it's the idea of Torchain staking Ether from its pool and get like the extra yield of oh, distributing yeah. it to the pool and something like maybe 5% of the pool or 10% of the pool. Yeah. Um, see, I would, I would lean against that personally just because that um, increases protocol risk. Uh, and so in the event that that thing that you're staking it to like gets hacked or something like this and the funds are lost or become insolvent, then we become insolvent as well inherently. And then it becomes the question of like, well, who's going to pay for it? Is it just, just going to be a, a collective that everybody in the Ethereum pool just kind of takes the hit and, you know, eats, eats their, it eats the losses and we just, you know, burn up. We just adjust the pool uh, depth to reflect the new, you know, amount. Um, yeah, but I'm talking about like native staking. So I understand your point, but. Like if Ethereum native staking gets hacked, then let's consider Ethereum down 99%. Same goes for AVAX or Atom. If their native protocol staking solution gets hacked, it's pretty much any way Torchain will suffer because the assets will likely go to near zero. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think there's like in order to do native staking on Ethereum, and I don't, I'm not an expert here, so correct me if I got it wrong. That you have to, you actually have to run a node, right? And so that's what typically what Lido does is is they run the nodes. They get like a you know thirty of them or something like something like this, and you stake to their nodes. And so we would have to stake to someone somewhere, right? I, yeah, I, I'm not an expert either, so maybe I'm missing something. I was under the impression that you were um, staking to the beacon chain, which was accessible whenever, yes, we run a node, but then all the Tor nodes run an Ethereum client. And I thought that was sufficient, but I might be very wrong there. Uh, same for AVAX and Atom, I, I, I'm just not sure. Right. I think it's like... No, it's Good operator or a bad operator incur in, in slashes because of you know uptime or something like this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not a fan of it. And but what you're trying to go for is an additional yield in the pool. That's what you're trying to go for, and reduce the security budget, right? Because if it's staked away from the torchain pool then maybe it doesn't need to be accounted directly because it's, it's kind of locked away just as the cold vaults you were exploring. Uh, that's a little bit different because in this case, if somebody were to cyber attack the network and own the, own the nodes, then they would be able to withdraw and unstake if they wanted to. Right? True. Yeah. So the, dip, the difference is that on cold vaults, the validators do not have an ability to, to like pull the funds from the cobalts like they just there's no mechanism to do so they have to, the people who run the cobalts have to like opt to give it back to the network when it is economically you know um reasonable to do so that was like the one of the reasons why i didn't do cobalts a long time ago because the, the mechanism we had like it would always allow the validators to, to like claw back the, the funds whenever they wanted to and that kind of defeats the point in some sense it's an interesting concept and we could do something like a um um Uh, an ST ETH pool, like a Lido ETH pool, you know, where you can get some Lido, stick some, stick some ETH to Lido and then get a, you know, a liquid staking token and then take that and then deposit that into a pool on Thorchain and then get a yield from that, right? You could do that. That that wouldn't uh, create any kind of like paradoxes of, of like insolvencies or lost funds. Yeah, or you just go to the next level and you create a Vitor room pool for triple reflexivity. Yeah, you could do something like that too, I suppose. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, though. Oh, that's all I had. Thanks uh, for answering questions. One more thought, actually. Is that like this, this notion, and obviously it's not the same, but like... It sounds a little bit like uh, what um, kind of like what FTX was doing or or, or um, BlockFi, where they take you deposit some money, the money goes somewhere else into a series of investments or trading strategies or whatever it is, and then you know things can go sour, and all of a sudden you're you're in bigger trouble than you started. Kind of like I think one of the benefits of, of something like a Thorchain is that you know where the funds are, and it's always in the network. It's not it's not being re hypothecated for other purposes and other protocols you want to do that there's probably some some decent protocols in the ethereum space that that, that does that fairly okay but uh, i think thorchain i think in my viewpoint should always just stay to be 
to own what it has and, and always, always stay solvent. Cool. Thanks. So like, uh, is Sharky Lightfoot there? Can you hear me? Hey, yep. Hey, um, I saw a tweet by Thorchain Bull. Y'all may, may have covered this, so if you did, you can move on. Um, it was about protocol-owned liquidity, and he said that the uh, POL algorithm um, may have directed the protocol to buy exogenous assets with 500,000 rune, which um, caused the uh which would have been a sell-off of five hundred thousand rune and i was curious if if that was accurate or if something else was at play yeah sure so i i pinned the tweet up top that i made earlier and it's correcting thorchain bold um who i think was just reading the, the charts a little bit wrong so uh, so, so POL deposits liquidity, as in sells rune for the other asset, when the synth utilization gets really high for an asset, and it withdraws that liquidity when the synth utilization goes down. So when rune out, outperforms, so it, it basically, so basically, what, what's happened over the past um, couple of days is rune has gone way up in terms of Bitcoin. So the synth utilization dropped below forty percent, and the POL withdrew about 500,000 rune from the Bitcoin pool. That's actually rune buy pressure, not sell pressure when, when you're talking about withdrawing from the pool. But also what it's been doing is been depositing rune into the USDC and USDT pool. Now, it, uh, if you look at it on the chart, you, can't, you literally can't even see the line go up because it's so little. It's about 15,000 rune deposited versus 500,000 withdrawn so unfortunately thorchain bull is incorrect about what what he was saying it's actually the, the opposite um dynamic and uh yeah it really doesn't have anything to do with uh it's just normal price action and totally expected in in my opinion uh the the, the five hundred thousand being withdrawn that's that's ruined by pressure not self-pressure you can check out the, the pin tweet that i made where i kind of just go into uh POL and you can you can check the dashboards and see exactly what happened. So it's not anything to uh, to, to worry about there. Um, just you know, you got to just re remember that when you're depositing rune into the protocol, it's you're selling half that rune for the asset. And when you're withdrawing the rune from the protocol, you you have a dual liquidity position, right? So you have rune and USDC. You're selling that USDC for rune. So when you're withdrawing, you're buying rune, and when you deposit, you sell it. So we deposited about 500k rune in the past like three four days, and we've deposited around 15k. So that's what happened. Cool. I appreciate clearing that up. Yeah, relatingly, um, something that I've been talking with some of the devs about on this topic was changing the POL to withdraw at a lower percentage because right now it's like it's it's programmed to enter the pool when when there's more than 50 percent uh synth utilization and then it withdraws i think at, i think at 40 percent synth utilization which is why we saw that you know withdraw from the bitcoin pool that uh, 
uh, Kyle was just talking about. And that's actually kind of a problem for us because um, because if um, if you enter if you enter in now, right? Like I think the few I'll just enter just now. I've been like you know half a million dollars worth of room, whatever. And then the the room price like you know doubles or three x's or something like this, right? That the PUL will will incur amount a certain amount of impermanent loss because the room price is you know deviated from the asset price. Bitcoin stays you know like static, room's gone two or three x, and so the pool has gotten the 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 PUL has experienced a bunch of IL because of that, and then also because the sync utilization has now dropped from fifty percent to you know, something like 20% because the Bitcoin uh, prices is, the room price has gone up relative to Bitcoin, it withdraws, right? And so it's just kind of this thing of like, uh, um, the POL needs to stay in the pool. Like, like when it, while it's in the pool and it has that IL kind of experience, like that's like an unrealized loss that it's experiencing, but you got to stay in the pool to continue to earn the, the revenue to earn back the, you know, the, the IL that you lost. And so it's experiencing IL and then exiting, right. And then realizing the losses. And so it's, it's kind of like, got like a, somewhat of a, a bit of a problem because it's like, it's kind of like the worst kind of LP in some ways. Like it's, it's entering when it's a bad time to enter and leaving when it's a, a, a good time to uh, entering when it's a, when it's a, you should be exiting or, or leading when you should be entering, like kind of a reversing in a sense, like it's kind of doing a bad job being an LP in some sense. So it's just like we were talking internally about like maybe we just change it so that it enters at 50% and it withdraws at like 10% or something much smaller. And even just, we even floated the idea of just like, just never, never exit, just leave the rune in there forever. Just let it, you know, keep the pool deep and, let it grow over time and just let the pool just eternally grow forever because there's an LP that will never ever actually leave. And I'll just constantly earn revenue and keep it and, and then like recycle it back into the system. So it'll like always grow in the pool. Yeah. But if you did that, then you'd run into the problem of is it's just infinitely needs more and more room to be like shoveled into this steam engine. Where it's like, where back in the summer we hit the five million rune max deposit. We, if we were still at the five million max deposit right now, we'd have to keep cranking it up higher and higher and higher. Just using, I mean, basically, it would use the entire reserve in, uh, you know, in some amount of time, especially with just an uncapped amount of deposits that that it allows essentially. So eventually, it would, it would run out. I think fairly quickly. No, I, mean, I don't think I would agree with that, just because. Um, in order for that to happen, you would have to have like a continuous addition of savers, right? In order, in order for that to be true, and I don't think you would have that. I think, um, well, maybe you're maybe, maybe you're right. Who knows? But um, I, I think it's better for the protocol for the POL to, to stay in longer and rather than exiting when it gets an opportunity to do so. Just like stay in and realize, earn more yield and 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 go against the IL that it's experiencing when it, when it does see a price movement. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and you're, you're totally right that it exits at, it exits at the time where it's more likely to experience a loss because that means that rune has, has gone up versus the other asset. Right. And right. what happens when, when you're an LP and uh, you're, and the one asset goes up versus the other, you're selling the strong asset into the weak asset. So you're essentially just depositing the rune and then selling that rune. And then you're just, 
withdrawing once you've realized enough of a loss. So it's like, it's, it's essentially just like only withdrawing. I mean, it, it, it's meant as a utility, not, not obviously uh, not as like a profit seeking thing, but it's like, it literally is the worst profit seeking LP because it's just depositing when, uh, when Rune's doing not so good. And then it's withdrawing when Rune's doing well, which is like, Right. The, the opposite. That's the opposite behavior you'd want if your goal was to have as much room as possible. Right. And uh, another way to think about it was, was we were kind of brainstorming, and um, is that like, say you enter the pool now, and there's a ratio between Bitcoin and room, like the value between these two assets. There's like a we'll just call it like a, a five to one ratio between the two of them, which is not true, but just imagine it is. And then we go into the bull market and Rune starts pumping more so than Bitcoin because small market cap assets tend to move faster than, than lower, uh, higher market cap assets. And so you, you start to experience a bunch of IL because of that, but you're earning yield like the whole time, right? And, and hopefully you're earning more yield than the, than the IL is, is doing, but you know, that may not be true depending upon how, how fast Rune is moving relative to, to, to Bitcoin. And you might be experiencing, you know, some 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 negative IL here, and, and and you know maybe you're at a loss, blah blah, blah whatever. But then, like in a few years, um, you know, Rune dives because we go back into a, a bear market. Rune goes down partially relative to Bitcoin, as you might expect it would. And then we're back to that initial, you know, five to one ratio that we started at. And so we no longer have any more IL because IL is not it's not a permanent thing. It's a, it's a that's what I call it impermanent, right? Because it's, it's you only experience it while the, the prices deviate between your, your initial de deposit, whatever that was. And so like it eventually goes back to like the one to five ratio between the two. And now you have a zero IL and you've now you and plus, plus you've got all the yield that you yield that you've generated over the last, you know, two years of being, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the pools. Right. And so it makes sense for the protocol to, to be, um, to be more uh, like dedicated that once it deposits, it deposits and it stays there for a very long period of time just to ensure that if it does experience any IL, that it, it's in there long enough that it will experience enough yield to go against the IL. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I agree with you if POL is infinite, but the reserve is very finite. So like, what is there right now? 85 million rune in the reserve. And right now there's authorization to go up to 10 million rune. You, you could burn through that 10 million rune pretty quick on, on a downturn, especially if uh, you're, you're just dumping into a bunch of uh, stable LPs, right? Like, right. But, because but you need what to put a bunch of rune in there. So say you have, a, you have a million, you have a set of max at 10 million, right? Yeah. And say you remove the ability to withdraw just for discussion, of, for the sake of discussion, right? What happens? Well, you just deploy the 10 million. That's it. Right. You, you deploy the 10 million, but then you've run out of the 10 million and the POL can't like that. I don't know. That, that's just kind of what I've been thinking about with POL. Like, is that it does have its own issue because it's, it is a, a finite thing that you can't, you can't always have it there to rely on. And we saw that during, during the summer when, you know, we were at the hard caps and the POL was capped and it, it literally could not deposit uh, you know, and and continue to bring the synth utilization down. Yeah, I mean, I, I argued at that time we should have increased the cap on the on the PL. Be honest. Like, yeah, it's true, but it's still, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still like a finite thing. And you you could you could put in the entire reserve into into POL, then eventually there's there's just that's just it. You know, 
Right, but like think another way to think about it is like say you deposited enough rune from the from the POL to cover to cover all the Bitcoin savers deposits that we have in this upcoming bear market, um, bubble market, right? And we'll just we'll just put that number at a, at a random number of thirty million rune. I don't know. I'm just I'm making that up, but whatever. And if it stays in there uh, and doesn't withdraw, and then we go into the next bull market where all the savers are depositing again, blah blah blah, whatever. That rune is that rune asset is still there, and so it doesn't need to deploy more because it still has the rune that it deployed from the last cycle, right? So it's not like you need to constantly always increase. It's at some point you like you get to a place where you don't need to increase anymore. I don't know what that number would be. I'm, I'm I made up a, a random number of thirty million, but it could it could be some number. But I don't think you you need an infinite supply of rune to to, to accomplish this ta- task. You just would. You would just like when you get into the bear market, uh, you would just stay in the pool, which is fine. And then when we get into the, the bull market, people start depositing savers and you're you don't need to deposit anymore because you've already deposited. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you actually hit the nail on the head with that number because 30 million is about the uh, that's about the entire pool module is 30 million minus what is already deposited by POL. So you would need about 30 million rune to just completely yeah. change the all, all the pools over to just pol and savers yeah which yeah. is about half of the reserve though <laughs> yeah and i'm to be honest i'm okay with that like personally like it's like um i think one of the more difficult problems we have in the project right now uh long term is like attracting uh dual side lps i think that's the, the difficult task and that's because we we can only tug upon so many people for that for that for that role, right? Because you're only really going to do that unless you're you're you know you're bullish on rune probably, which the only people who are bullish on rune is our own community, right? And so we can only tap our own community so much, so much so much capital in our own community. And so like I think that's going to be one of the more difficult things to uh, to to do is to to kind of get more dual side LPs into the network. Um, and I think the POL might be the you know, one of the answers for that is. is give it 30 million to deploy which is about the same as what's in the network today and that would you know accomplish the task of trying to grow a dual side lp i mean if that's the case then like the, the block rewards would be, would be reduced by some percentage um i don't know what the number is on my head maybe a maybe a third possibly you could counter that by changing the emission curve if you really wanted to but if the if the only LPs imagine if it's only the only LPs are the POL and there's no no more humans being dual side LPs then the yield part of that stuff doesn't really matter anymore and that the block reward doesn't really matter in that context much at all uh, and then only thing the the who's getting yields is the savers and the um, the nodes effect. Cool. Any other? So, uh, all right. You have, you have one more topic for for today, Chad. What else do you want to talk about? I get one. <laughs> I get one. We get one more topic. You got I I gotta hop at six. So yeah, you gotta you gotta hurry, you gotta hurry up at six o'clock. So we don't we don't have to if you don't want to. But I think another thing that that, that the, the community's been talking about is um, uh, the five bips min fee for small trades. Have you heard about this one? It sounds like a like a premise. Like a premise? <laughs> yeah, you know, it sounds like you're setting up for a joke. It's like, ah, uh, you know, I heard about, about five, about five minutes, about five bits on each trade. Have you heard about this? Have you sent me the messages? Sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, let's hear about it. <laughs> so, 
the the nice thing about uh, the the flip based fee model versus like XYK is that you can have fees that are extremely small, right? And because the fees are extremely small, you can correct the pool price to market price with a, with exact precision, more so than you can on most AMMs out there. Um, but the negative is that um, uh, small traders uh, can get like a one bit fee or a two bit fee in, instead of paying five bits, right? So hypothetically, if we were to say that you have to pay a minimum of five bips, still a place fee model, but a minimum of five bips um, on all the L1 trades, but not the synthetic trades because synthetic trades are done by arbitrage bots. So they want you want to keep that untouched so that they, they can correct the pool price with exact precision. Um, and just L1 trades, you would increase the, the fees, increase the, the, the reward into the, into the network by about 5%. So it's, it's, to me, it's like kind of a way of like, it's a little bit more egalitarian in its approach of just like everybody pays five bips for all trades. That's basically what it more or less states. So it's very simple, very easy to understand. Everybody pays five bips for any layer one trades, you know, whether it's streaming swap or, or, or whatever, just like everything just pays five, five bips. And, um, and then you have this, you know, higher yield in the LPs and savers and nodes and that kind of stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, are there even that many L1 trades that pay a lot less than than, than five bips? I, I think you had some research about. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, split it, here. it's about it's about a five percent increase in, uh, in in swap fees collected by the network. So, putting it simply, is it just that like streaming swaps have gotten so damn efficient that in some cases it's below even five bips, and then this would set like that minimum fee such that there's just still fees going to nodes no it's actually the opposite it's not the Mm. streaming swaps that i'm referring to it's the it's the regular swaps because in a regular swap if your swap is small enough that it can't be a streaming swap because the value is so small it doesn't doesn't fit in two two streaming Mm. swaps right that you get less than five bips at that point and so if you're trading like a hundred bucks into the you know going bitcoin ethereum and trading a hundred bucks that's going to be you know probably you know point one swap bip swap fee in that particular example, right? Or something close to that. Um, and so it's not the streaming swap though. The, the streaming swap is paying five bips in all cases, right? Maybe it plays right, in right. some cases. So you always pays five bips. It's the single swap that's that's actually getting, kind of getting more or less a quote unquote free ride. And they're not really paying a, you know, a decent um, reward into the pools for, you know, for being there and providing liquidity and, and, you know, doing those swaps and such. So gotcha. it's just an idea to, to just make sure that everybody's paying like a fair share and it's much more egalitarian. Like the way it is now, like you either you're, you know, medium or you're highly wealthy and you pay five bips or you're like a small shrimp who has no money and you pay one bit. It's like a, kind of like a form of welfare in some sense. Right. <laughs> and this would yeah. be more like egalitarian, meaning that like everybody's treated the same, whether you're a whale or you're a shrimp, y'all, y'all get to get the same fee. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, no strong opinion. I mean, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. I like it too. Uh, I think, I think it's, if we can think about more ways to generate revenue for the protocol, like through organic trade, like real revenue, real yield. I think that's generally a good idea for the protocol for sure. Uh, what did you say about, you said something 
you said something five percent like what is the like do you have a sense of how many how much of the overall volume are these small swaps like is it meaningful uh, i actually don't know like which percentage of the swaps are small enough that they don't fit into a streaming swap um i have to imagine it's probably going to be like a good amount i, I would if i'm taking a guess here so don't quote me on this but i'm going to guess it to be like 20 or 30 percent i'm going to guess Right, in number of swaps, but in like percent volume, it's probably pretty low. I'm just, yeah. Percent volume. Yeah, I'm also probably, guessing. Yeah. It's, it's fairly, it's going to be relatively low, but basically any swap that's like, I think it may depa- depends on where you're swapping. Uh, but if you're going like Bitcoin ETH, for example, I think it's like, um, if it's under like four or five thousand dollars, you're probably going to get a sub five bips fee or something like that. If it's over five thousand dollars, then you're going to be doing a streaming swap, in which case you'll probably just get five bips. Okay, yeah. So the threshold's not like that low. It's not just fifty dollars swaps. It's also like three thousand dollars swaps. Yes, I think I can't. I, I can't do the math off the top of my head because I'm not, not that smart. But it's probably like any swap that's like under five thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, that's probably that probably adds up. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's why the the fee would generate would be about five percent, five percent increase uh, per day or whatever per year or whatever you want to call it. But and that would just be just more organic, you know, swap fees being collected by the network. You know, yeah, I think as long as it's adjustable e- easily enough, just like an, an economic mirror that that can be changed in case there's some kind of like design consideration or like you know we need to beat another protocols by like you know that one basis point or something like that turn it turn it down to, to four or something like that yeah uh, yeah honestly i don't think it really makes it probably that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things either way i actually saw smith float a pretty interesting idea which was a kind of a hypothetical but it was like you know even now Thorchain has better execution than centralized exchanges and stuff but that might even get way crazier right like as just everything progresses and on one hand, it's like, it's cool to be, you know, 95% less fee or something, but maybe being like 75% less fee is sufficient. <laughs> and then it's a question of, you know, could there actually be like a slightly higher fee? And then that just benefits Rune, LPs, nodes and whatever, or whatever. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Like maybe, maybe it's almost like too cheap in the long run. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I think part of the point of why five, the the number five bits was like selected um, was that we wanted to kind of like switch the strategy of the network, like the actual, like a long-term strategy network to kind of go more like kind of like the Amazon route where like Amazon, you know, as a company wasn't producing, uh, was producing a lot of revenue, but it was spending more than it was producing and never, it never really made money for like 10 years. And and this is not a, a great analogy, but bear with me. Uh, and so by kind of switching our strategy to, you know, uh, kind of have this, the highest yield possible in the pools and, and attract, attract liquidity that way, uh, we would attract, kind of go after swappers and try to get the, the highest volume of swapping possible. And, and five bits was kind of like the strategy of doing that by just being able to go out into the, in the world and just be able to send out a tweet that says, you know, Fortune has the best price execution of any centralized or decentralized exchange in the world. It's a really powerful statement and that can draw a lot of liquidity. And what's really fascinating that we didn't really know at the time, but we, that 
yes, you're going to collect less fees per swap, but you're also going to get more volume because the fees are obviously so low. And in the end, the swap volume had increased by like, what was it, like 5x or whatever the hell the number is, 5 or 10x or the hell the number was. But the swap fees didn't actually really decrease much at all. So each swap had less fees, yes, but the number of swaps increased. And so that kind of counteracted the losses that you got from like having cheaper swap fees, right? Because you had higher volume. We thought that might be the case, but we were, you know, I wasn't confident that would be the case. Like I, I thought that might happen, but and ended up happening. Like that's why the swap fees right now is still 50% of the system income of the network, which is even better because when we measured this before, like room was at a dollar. So the block reward was like, you know, one third less than what it is now. And yet, uh, so it, before it had like kind of a, an advantage over now, it's still at 50%. So it's like, it's totally worth it doing the five bips. It doesn't really actually hurt that much in terms of LP re- revenue. It actually gen- generates more in the end um, relative to what it was before. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the Amazon hey. analogy is actually really good because yeah, Am- Amazon's like, you know, basically shipping you products overnight for like, little to no profit in most cases just to kind of like get even or whatever but whereas in this case like Thorchain is shipping hundreds of btc for you know right essentially no fee um but enough of a fee so yeah i, I get the ethos it makes sense uh you know decks in the world like that would be then at that point we can we can raise our prices our price whatever to, from five bips to ten bips or whatever we want to do, or something like this, and then we'd probably yeah. stay up there. Which could be like freaking gigantic at some point in the future, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and at some point, the community can do that, and the community can do that today if they want to. It's it's a mirror, so you could they can vote and, and change right now if they really wanted to. Yeah, it's interesting to think about for the future if if you know TC is just so dominant. Yo, uh, grassroots, Chris, what's up? Hey, hey, Don. Doing good. What's up, brother? Just got a yeah, just got a point for I've just been running some tests for the um, what we're talking about. So the getting five basis points, um, like trying to get that, it really depends on the depth of the pool. So trying to run some numbers just now, and for uh, a Bitcoin swap to get five basis points, you need to swap about six. 6,300 room thereabouts, which is about 11,000. And that'll get you at five five basis points swap. That costs about $3.19, from what I can tell. So that would be if you're doing a Bitcoin swap, which I think most people do it under five basis points. But if you're doing an Ethereum swap, it's much less. It's about 3,200 room to get to yeah, yeah. five basis points. That would cost you about $4, $4.50. So I think then that's putting a what it would do for the users putting a, a, a set price, a min price for a slip. Yep. If, even if they're doing on the Ethereum pool, if they're doing a, a 50, $50 swap, a 50 rune swap, it would still cost them that 450 as opposed to even if they're doing a, a 3,000 one. Is that right? Yep. In the case that you have to like, you kind of average out the two. It's not an average, it's more complex math, math than that. But if you average out the Bitcoin with the ETH, you come out to about, about 5,000 approximately. Yes, but if you're doing a uh, a smaller pool, you're doing a BNB pool or, or anything apart from those two, because they're, they're, they're deepest pools. 
obviously. Yeah, yeah, so they're going to have the highest. That's what the vast majority of our trading is. You know, there's those two pools. Yeah, so I think it's just understanding what those minimum minimum values are, approximately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That the user will pay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's obviously a lot smaller in an AVAX swap, like we were talking earlier. Yeah. Um, sorry. Daylight savings didn't always change. Yeah, so AVAX swap would be 2,700 approximately, so it's much less. Yeah, yeah. You need to $7,000. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously I do <laughs> target a lot lot were a lot under five basis points. I would usually go over five basis points, particularly with testing. Um, but I can see the need. It's just, I guess, understanding what the, what the user impact is and then the, the additional income that... Um, chain will get because then that would obviously increase the APR to the node operators, the savers, the LPs, the POL, and everything as well. Right. That's what I like to see. Right. How you doing, Ken? What's up? What's up? Yeah, pretty good week. Um, Baller week. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was actually thinking about this, like, um, the thing um, that you discussed earlier, which is pretty much how to grow the liquidity pools, I'm also not that uh, excited with like prior um, relying on dual LPs uh, moving forward. I think it's like there's almost proven to not to, to not be a great strategy like across the board. I think across all the MMs. Um, so we do have these like savers. We do have the POL, which is great. Um, one thing that's like um, that uh, uh, um, that I've been thinking is like the savers yields are are very high, right? Like compared to uh, like compared to what you can get out there. Like if you think about it, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at like AVAX or other like Atom, like those kind of assets, you don't. Like yields for those assets um, are, are like double digits, and like you're mm-hmm. probably not gonna like get them even if you staked uh, those tokens in their like native native chains. Um, and then like you look at stables like BUSD, uh, another USDC, etc., and then you see like um, again very high like yields. Um, even like I, I I remember seeing like fifteen percent yields on, on some stables. Um, so it, it is bullish in some sense because it, it means like the pool is generating fees and then like, um, etc. But then, uh, it also seems to be a signal that people kind of, uh, still perceive Torchain as a like risky, um, um, like primitive, especially as the, the savings, right? Because otherwise I'm thinking mm-hmm. like people would just participate more. And uh, you'd see those like yields uh, being diluted um, as they are now, like it's being distributed over um, uh, more more um, um, depositors, basically. So yep. yeah, um, just wanted to open that up. I, I don't have any like strong uh, conclusions here, um, but yeah, curious what everybody thinks here. I think the one thing that makes um, you're right. Like, like a lot of AMMs, their their model doesn't really make a lot of make a lot of sense in terms of like as a strategy, as an investment strategy. Like Uniswap V3 is kind of like one of the worst. Um, 
like almost 60 or 70 percent of people who LP on Uniswap V3 are at a loss just because of constant liquidity and um, all this kind of stuff. But I think what, what makes Thorchain a little bit different and maybe a little bit of a tastier kind of situation than a typical AMM is that because they have savers and, you know, especially as we're entering into a, a bull market, um, as we get further down to, into the bull market and, um, you know, Rune's naturally going to be out, up, up, outpacing uh, USDT or outpacing Bitcoin or whatever. Um, you're basically taking revenue, you're taking value from the savers and you're giving it to the dual side LPs. And so you have this kind of like a higher juices uh, in terms of like yield for those dual side LPs that you don't have on regular AMMs because we have our savers product, right? And so you have block wards, you have swap fees, you have streaming swaps, you have all these things like generating, like even lending is generating revenue for the LPs. And then on top of that, you're kind of like taking some value from the savers because the value of Rune is outperforming the value of, uh, of the other asset. So that's that's a very different kind of equation than what most AMMs do. And that might make it you know more appetizing. Uh, so so actually, it is also- actually on that note, um, I, I've been like that, that part of it has been exciting me for, for a while now. And now that like Rune has pretty much outperformed the market for the last like uh, 90 days. Um, I'm, 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 I'm starting to see some like really um, strong like uh, uh, results uh, from dual LPs and on Twitter. Um, so my anticipation was that like, as, as those come up, people would, would be like, Oh, how, how does that, how is that even possible? And then, like, the the reason is pretty much all all those factors, right? Like the the um, the, the positive IL that uh, that uh, happens in the pool that's being captured, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, yeah, may, maybe seeing those results now will will encourage more people to do LP. But then again, it's like very. Um, sensitive to, to room price um which is not a bad thing but it is it is sensitive like it goes both ways maybe instead of causing it positive il we call it impermanent profit <laughs> <laughs> i struggled i'm very I, familiar I, I with him struggle to find a term for this <laughs> and then i'm calling it positive profit. IL, basically yeah no it's not losses though it's not positive positive loss is that what you're saying it's profit, so it's it's a permanent profit. What it is, IT. that's probably the best way to describe that. Actually. IT, yeah, <laughs> in permanent profit. Oh my god, that's hilarious! But but my question was more so on the saber side, right? Because savers don't have to deal with any of this um, math, like right. rocket science math. Right. They just deposit and they they look at the yield. And all they have to do is like how, how like how much risk I'm taking and like what kind of yield I'm getting, and it's surprising to me that still like with with those digits, double digit like um, uh, yields, um, like I would I would expect that there would be more savers by now, basically, to be very honest. Yeah, I mean, I assume that's because of a couple things. Like one is it, it, it it's bear market. Uh, and people are as engaged, uh, especially looking into like new projects. Like people might be tied down and like in their tribe, whatever tribe that is, and like just trying to survive the bear market and not looking for new opportunities or new things. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is, and this is like, 
I don't know if this is just me, you know, you know, I, I have a very different view on this because I'm from the inside and, and it might look different on the inside than it looks on the outside. And I just don't get it. But I feel like um, because Thorchain does things that are so um, significant, like the, the things that we claim as a project sounds ridiculous, right? Like anybody who doesn't know much about Thorchain, but here's what this new project that can do savers and, and, and these new lending protocol and, you know, swapping across chains, like all those things like sound kind of ridiculous and like not true. <laughs> and so like, it must be, it must be a scam. It must be a, you know, something like this. And they write it off as like just some scam project who's trying to, you know, uh, sell uh, snake oil or something like this. And so people just don't, don't believe it to be like a reality. Am I the only one that feels that way? Because I, it's, that's the way it feels to me. I think both those make sense. And I think it's part of both of those. And yeah, I, I mean, they kind of go together too. It's because like ultimately time is passing and Thorchain is racking up Lindy points the more we move forward. And then Thorchain will be more Lindy by the time people are more degen again. And, you know, that could be a good recipe for people to really pay attention. But yeah, I think it's kind of a combo that like one doesn't seem like people are super like yield degening at least i'm i don't know that's not on my radar as much as it was for sure so i would imagine a lot of except for the really hardcore uh you know yield uh what do you call them i don't know yield seekers <laughs> are yeah but, yeah yeah makes sense but yeah i mean i do think people think door chain stuff kind of almost sounds too good to be true in a sense I mean, it, it definitely sounds like you tell people you have like no interest, no liquidation loans. People just don't even believe. Like I've had conversations with people at conferences and whatever, and they're, they're just like, look at me like I'm, you know, fucking psychopath or something like this. You know, uh, I think like, another thing interesting is that like if you can stake your, you know, your AVAX token or your, you know, Atom token or something like this, um, even if you get a higher yield on Thorchain, you might opt to stay in the like within your own ecosystem because you have inherently probably more trust in whatever ecosystem you're coming from to, to some new thing that's on the outskirts being Thorchain in this case. And so maybe that there's just like more trust in, you know, your chain because you're a big buyer and you have a big bag of Atom or whatever the hell it is. And, and you're not, you know, uh, aligned as much as with, with Thorchain. And so you have inherently yeah. less trust for that protocol. So you're less likely to wanting to, 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 to deposit your, you're totally. There. I actually have one theory that is almost the same as that, but it's that the the people that know the most about the Thorchain products, like Savers, are the people that are super into Thorchain and Rune, and therefore mm. are already so exposed to any risk of the Thorchain ecosystem through their fat Rune bags. That then it's like, like hypothetically, you have a portfolio that's fifty percent Rune and fifty percent Bitcoin you're 50% exposed to Thorchain risks. Okay, now you put your Bitcoin into savers. Now you're 100%, right? So it's like the people that are the most into Thorchain are also kind of like hesitant to, at least I've, I've felt that. And I think some yeah, others have. So I think that's part of it too, is like savers is a product for the people that are not necessarily huge rune bulls. It's just a great product for like other people, you know? Right, right. Which is what it was kind of designed for in a sense. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, totally. This is, this is exactly um, how how I like. You describe my situation pretty much. 
like I'm already super exposed, so there's no not much sense for me to also increase my exposure to sabers. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that that was a great summary. The interesting thing is that like it's at some point I think that's going like the trust in Thorchain is going to shift like like. Like FTX was kind of a good example of this. Is like it's just something that existed that got really big, and when something is really big, people just stop kind of asking questions, and people just stop, you know, thinking. Like they kind of just like, oh, it's like FTX. It's like one of the biggest exchanges in the world. Like, you know, I'm sure it's great, right? And even investors who were investing into FTX like didn't do any kind of due diligence. They're like, yeah, you know, it's FTX. They're huge, so they're fine, right? This is kind of this mental dissonance in that sense of like questioning things when they're when they're small, but then not questioning when they're big, right? In some sense, and so like I think if one store chain becomes more of a kind of a household name, quote unquote, and where you become you know a top twenty or top twenty five asset, there's this inherently the bigger we get in terms of the space, inherently we get more trust because of that, and with the more trust becomes more people who are willing to do uh, deposit savers. Does that make sense to anybody? Yep. Definitely. Yeah. That's a great point. So maybe like we don't need to convince people of, of savers. It will just happen on its own. It's, it just comes with the success of the project. Yeah. And the, I, mean, room I mean, to some sense, like that happened this week, right? Like I've seen some large, like um, some large participation from like Adam, um, if I'm not mistaken, that AVAX too. I might be mistaken though. Um, and on savers. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen, I've definitely seen like uh, three three hundred thousand or three thousand fifty fifty k or um, yeah three fifty k atom um, participation in, in savers. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. definitely like there's going to be that uh, cycle where people kind of wake up to that, and then um, and then from there, I, I don't think that many people will scrutinize uh, it. That's that's yeah, that's possible definitely. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's kind of funny because we might kind of sit here and, and, and um, um, kind of question about the future of savers. But at the same time, like it's been doing well, <laughs> like like we every day there's more savers and in, in, in there than before. Like right now, we have 25 more savers than there was yesterday. And we have, you know, about a million dollars in savers today that wasn't there yesterday. So it's just like it is kind of funny that it's like that we're kind of questioning and savers in some sense, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's been performing like pretty consistently and going up into the right, like fairly, fairly evenly. Right. Yeah. I mean, a good, like a comfortable pace is kind of, is not a bad thing. Right. And like, if it was going insane, then we'd be like bumping up against the synth caps constantly. Like maybe POL would be maxed out. That's like leveraging the LPs a ton. Like overall, the protocol is kind of, like safer, safer you could say when it's when it's a lower percent uh, synth utilization, right? Like, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be like going at absolute max acceleration all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of assumed at some point that would happen. To be honest, just because the the value proposition of savers is like just so delicious, and it and it just all that it requires is just like the industry to wake up and yeah. be aware of it. And then we would see huge, like there's such yeah. demand for it. Like, well, another point, I think you guys mentioned this on the last space that I wasn't here, but um, you guys were talking about just how 
there's there's like a there's a good amount of swap integrations, but there's really not that many savers integrations still right now. Right. So you know, right. there's no there's no like trust wallet doing doing savers yet, or there's no like you know gigantic centralized exchange or something like using savers on the back end. There's no like BlockFi 2.0 powered by <laughs> powered by Thorchain savers or something like that. So you know, when I, I'm sure it, that feels like a matter of time until those things do roll out, like, you know, whenever the market is kind of fully back and seeking those things. But right. I would guess that's when you kind of see like, because, because, yeah, again, right now, like the people using savers are the people, you know, listening to these spaces, they're like super tapped into what's going on with ThorChain. But in the future, if they just like open up their random crypto app, and it's like earn 2% on Bitcoin, and they just like, you know, click it, then that's pretty. Right. That, that, that's going to be a lot of growth. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. That's kind of an interesting way of getting around the trust problem in some sense. Like, imagine you open up your your trust wallet and it says, "Hey, stake your Bitcoin for two percent yield or something like this or whatever the hell it says," and and it doesn't even say there that it's like powered by Thorchain. It just says, "Oh, trust wallet now has a staking mechanism for Bitcoin, whatever the hell that even means." And then people just like click it because they they know trust wallet. They use their wallet. They like their wallet. They have trust wallet. Trust wallet has their trust. They trust the wallet, <laughs> and so so they click the button and they stake, you know, because they like trust wallet, and they have no idea that Thorchain is actually like involved in this whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, you get like a massive amount of Bitcoin being deposited into, into, into Thorchain just because trust wallet white labeled the service, <laughs> and then earned a bunch of revenue on affiliate fees. Totally. Or I remember one idea that was floated way back was like, maybe, maybe this would be more on like even a, a centralized front end or something like that, but having almost like a, like an insurance fund or something that like guarantees it, but then they're taking who knows half the yield, whatever it is, like maybe it's 1% right. instead of 2% on Bitcoin, but then they're like, Oh, we're like, this is what, how it's working on the back end, But like, we're also guaranteeing whatever like protection or something like that. So you're not just right. like yellowing into DeFi protocols on your own, but it's kind of like packaged under this wrapper for, for normies, if you will. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We, we looked into all sorts of like insurance systems in the Thor chain back in, like a couple of years ago. And it, nobody's really willing to provide it to be honest with you. Like if they do, it's some sort of ludicrous cost that it just it doesn't make any sense at all it's like you yeah. can get insurance for your own lp position on you know some some amm or something like this if you want to but try to try to insuring an entire protocol of all its assets is not something that any insurance company that i've spoken to is willing to do sure yeah i i remember when people were looking into that but but in this case like maybe it would just be like a centralized exchange is just insuring like that user's their users deposits right yeah possibly so maybe that could work i don't know i don't know maybe. anything about insurance <laughs> yeah i don't think it could work potentially like get insurance and you know get half the yield and we'll cover the cost if, if this is lost or whatever but then again i wouldn't i don't think a, a a trust wallet or or a coinbase or whatever would would want to like put their faith in another project's hands right to put them on the on the hook for you know, a hundred BDC or some or a thousand BDC or some number of the hell it is, uh, they wouldn't be want to be on the hook for that when they don't own it or control it or you know that kind of yeah. stuff. I don't know, but somebody could do it if they wanted to, if they wanted to. Um, one last topic I thought would be kind of interesting to chat about is uh, the idea of like 
enabling streaming swaps by default so that basically everything and you can still do a regular swap if you want to you can just like configure that particular memo and have a regular swap if you really want it but like just to just to get as many swaps in the streaming swap context to start like using the network as much as possible um what do you guys think of that idea i think um i kind of see that being undesired in crisis type scenarios and crisis like crisis as as well as like really hyped you know and like a lounge or something like that where like people you know really want to rush they don't care about the the um the quality of execution but they just want to like get their asset so yeah the optionality of a regular non-streaming swap is is a good idea to me um However, as like a software default, um, yeah, like UI, I, I'm all for like UIs just offering streaming swaps by default. Um, yeah. But then maybe like you'd be yeah. just a bit of an advanced user and change it in the settings or something like that. That's a great point. Like even if it wasn't some like some crisis that was Thorchain related, but just like a general market, you know, just a highly volatile time and people are just, there's tons of activity and prices are moving like crazy if your swap is taking two hours instead of, you know, like an hour with the outbound delay or whatever, then like you're, you're exposed to that price volatility. So I could definitely imagine scenarios where people wouldn't want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think having the optionality to, to use a, a yeah. non-streaming swap is, is still important. But as, would, a default, yeah. as a default, yeah. As a default, I think it, it makes sense to me just because you want to get all the UIs that simultaneously are now using streaming swaps and now, you know, all of their volumes. Like, I think, like, Trust Wallet switched to streaming swaps and they, like, I think, m- m- like, doubled or a little more than doubled the, the volume uh, from their UI, according to what TCB said on Twitter a while back. But, like, so how do they show it? Do they show an option or do they just show a single quote? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. I, ne- I haven't tried it myself. But um, I think they just, I think they just, de- they, they just defaulted it. I don't think they should even show an option for right. like a fa- faster trade. Um, and to be honest, like the difference between a, a streaming swap and a non-streaming swap is like fairly small when you do like one one block intervals. It's like it's 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 especially for like a Bitcoin trade where the Bitcoin you know block time is one is ten ten minutes, right? So it, has, it really doesn't make any difference whether it's from speed perspective whether it's streaming swap or not. Yeah. But if if we can get all the UIs to simultaneously just to use streaming swaps by default. I think a lot of the UIs will just increase in volume by a, a good amount, which would which yeah. would in turn would cause uh, not only just more volume in Thorchain and, and becoming you know moving from number six to number five or number four on the on the Dex list, but also generating uh, I think would generate more more revenue so, for the LPs. So if it was um, if if the option for a non-streaming swap was still there in the protocol, like how do you imagine that being shown? Because like I'm looking at ThorSwap right now and it does, I mean, it gives you the two options, but it already defaults to the streaming swap, like when that's advantageous and it yeah. basically just disappears when it's not. So in a way that's already defaulting to it, like you have to like click on a different route that shows you a worse price to not do it. <laughs> so well, yeah, this, yeah. this isn't for the ThorSwap. ThorSwap's already got sure. the ship together and, and such, but it's, it's the other UIs that are a little bit slower to adopt that are still using the you know a regular swap mechanism right mm, yeah, so yeah those are the ones we want to we want to kind of 
almost force them to, to upgrade to a stream swap design in some sense. Got it. So that, yeah, that makes sense. So it's like, then like right now you have, you do a normal swap the normal way and then you do something special to do a streaming swap. This would basically just reverse that for the way that they're designing the UIs. Like it would be yeah. streaming swap normal, do something slightly special to do, to do a non-streaming. So right. they, you'd get all the people that are not, or all this, all the interfaces that are like not offering both already. Right. Although maybe my whole hypothesis is actually wrong because even if you force, say Trust Wallet wasn't doing streaming swaps, they were just doing only regular swaps, and then you force them to do it through a, you know, streaming by, by default kind of thing, but then their quote system is still going to be quoting the regular swap and displaying that to the user, not displaying to the user the streaming swap price, right? Mm. So maybe it wouldn't actually generate the additional volume because people still think they think they're going to pay a much higher fee than they actually are going to pay. So they walk away from the deal because they think if they're going to pay, you know, 80 basis points in reality, they would have paid five and they would have stayed if they knew that, but the UI displays the wrong, you know, fee. So could that default just be switched as well? Like could the default quote just be the streaming swap quote? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think right now, I think in the, in the quotes endpoint, there's like two quotes. There's like one that's like streaming and one that's not streaming. That's like given when you, when you make a with, quote, when you just want to say with AsgardX, we show default on streaming swaps and we show you the difference you get, like the benefit you're going to get with streaming swaps enabled. Um, yeah. and then you would have to explicitly put the interval to one in order to, to get an instant swap to force an instant swap. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's the best way because users really just want to concentrate on their, you know, what am I putting, what am I going to get at, and when am I going to get it. So you want to, you want to default that to the best, the best experience you can get, I think. Yeah, I, I, I suspect long term that, like, we'll just get rid of regular swaps in the long term just because I don't think anybody's really going to want to use it, to be honest. Even, even in times when do you want faster execution, you're probably not, you're probably going to get, you know, uh, you wait an extra six seconds to get half the fees anyway. But, but, like, it's six seconds really big of a deal. But imagine, like, like yesterday, um, Tia, like Celestia just launched and then they did, like, they're almost like they, I mean, the price discovery of the, of the token happened, um, at first in osmosis, right? So a lot of people were just, mm -hmm. like, basically rushing through osmosis. Relayers uh, overloaded, etc. So they had a lot of problems. So I was just thinking, like, how would it play out if Torchain uh, implemented it, and like streaming swap wouldn't be the right fit for for that kind of lounge, um, for sure. Well, you, you ready for me to blow your mind, Cam? You ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine a crazy world where where ThorChain supports limit orders, which is already existing in the code today. Um, and you have an ability as an ARB bot to, to ARB via a limit order. And so you have this potentiality of being able to do a streaming swap and execute 10 trades in, a, in the same block, right? So you get the streaming um, swap price, but you get the regular swap speed. You see what I mean? So there will be, let's say, 10 swaps, but all in the same block? Sorry. All in the same block. And different prices. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how that would work, but uh, it's, assumingly there there should be if there's a limit order of an ARB, the ARB puts up a limit order of some value, the stream swap just executes against that in effect. And so we, we so, so you getting the... sorry, go on. So, I so you're you're pushing the price, you know, down or, or up, whatever direction we're going. And then the limit order pushes it back. And then you do another string swap and the limit order pushes it back. And the limit string the limit order pushes it back. So as long as there's like this enough liquidity in the limit order, you know, that the ARB is set up on this, it's more like active arbitration uh, versus passive arbitration. Or what we want to call a reactive versus active. Like you could theoretically I think you could theoretically have streaming swaps and do like 10 swaps or, or whatever within a block. So you get, yeah, it should be like just basically the, the same speed as a regular swap, but the fees paid as a streaming swap. You get the best of both worlds. That so point. the streaming swap executes in market price and then the, the, the counterpart to the trade is the limit order? Yes. Hmm. So because because when you make your your first sub swap, you push the the price you know up well you know five cents. I don't know. I'm, I'm making random numbers, and, but then the limit order you know wants to sell at that price or something like this and pushes it back down, right? And then the sub swap executes again, pushes back up to five cents, and the limit order pushes it back down. There's like a, a streaming swap against it, so you have like two streaming swaps battling each other effectively. Right, and once once one swaps and then one swaps back, one swap the other swaps back. We're swapping against each other, back and forth, back and forth, and then eventually you get like a streaming swap within a within a single block. That's so cool. It's pretty mind blowing. I gotta uh, I gotta end the space here. So sorry about that, oh. but I would love to talk more about like all the limit order stuff at another point because I think I think that's a really interesting idea there, especially proactive arb and things. But gotta yeah. gotta wrap it up for right now. So, all right, guys. No worries. Good stuff. Think on it, guys. Think on it. All right. See you next week. Peace. Bye, guys. See ya.